Howdy, folks. John Fries here with my co-host, Chris Johnson. How's it going, Chris? Hi, John. Uh, so today we are going to keep talking about the 16 exercises of mindfulness of breathing. Uh, last week, we, we dealt mainly with the set of four exercises dealing with the body and then the set of four exercises dealing with sensation or feeling tone and we talked about um how you can how you can see the 16 exercises as um talking about the jhanas and i was talking about goinka vipassana and how yeah it, it talks about sensation and you're you start out with gross sensation and then you get the subtle sensation um but today, so so this the the first the first set of four deals with the body, and the Pali word is kaya, and it talks about aware of the breath, aware of the body, and then calming body fabrications, kaya sankara, calming kaya sankara, um, and then the second set of four is dealing with sensation, which is the Pali word is vedana translated sometimes as feeling tone or sensation. And so it's dealing with sensation, but um, it's talking about chitta sankara. Uh, so you're, you know, you're aware. Chitta sankara is like, to me, that's like dealing with emotion, basically. That's, that's how I'm understanding it. Um, Okay, then the third set of four is just dealing with chitta itself. And so we, we talked about the jhanas as like being um, aware of body sensation. And you're, you're like, you're dealing with emotion through body sensation. Um, whereas now when we get the chitta, the, the object of mindfulness is no longer sensation, it's, it's chitta itself. Uh, and Goenka Vipassana, they still talk about being aware of sensation the whole time. So even if you're aware of chitta, you're aware of like how it shows up as body sensation. Um, and you're still dealing with it within the context of the links of dependent origination. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I've, okay, so, so let's just... So, so the, the, the third set of four, um, there's four exercises. So it's aware of the chitta, uh, gladdening the chitta, concentrating the chitta, and then liberating the chitta. Uh, okay, so, so I'm just, you know, again, along the theme of these are questions I've always wanted to ask Chris because he's into this stuff and now it's the chance to ask. Um, Okay, but uh, what is your understanding of what what is chitta uh, in the sixteen exercises? What is chitta referring to? Um, it's the experience of of the mind, um, which corresponds to the the experience of the mind um, via the the instructions in the Satipatthana collection of um, <clears throat> instructions 
Um, so essentially, it's, it's a in the way I look at it, it's a it's a very phenomenological and psychological uh, way to uh, get a glimpse of, uh, get a handle of what's happening in the mind. And um, <clears throat> so that first step. Um, Awareness aware, of chitta, mindfulness of chitta. Yeah. So being aware or experiencing the mind or, you know, can have a few ways to understand that. Right. Just actually bringing that up to awareness. Uh, and then <clears throat> you take a temperature. You know, I like to I like to think of that. You yeah. sort of gauge the mind and, and where where is the mind at, and using your informed mindfulness, um, mm -hmm. adjusts the the practice of of say we're in breath meditation to under, to to make the mind uh, uplifted, to glad in the mind, right? Right. Okay, so the, the word mind, sometimes I've seen, is, it, it's chitta translated as mind, but sometimes I've seen it translated as heart mind. Mm. So when we say aware of mind, what are we talking about? Like, uh, are we talking just thoughts? Are we talking uh, consciousness or awareness itself? Or, you know, the sense of a subject observing things? Or, um, you know, this idea of heart mind, is it like an intuitive awareness versus a more conceptual awareness? Like what? Uh, how, like, how do you understand how chitta is translated into the word mind? Yeah, it's <laughs> uh, it can be <laughs> it can be a very uh, elusive elusive term, and mind isn't usually as uh, at least the way that we use it in English is not uh, broad enough for. Um, most of the connotations that you that you find that chitta being used for in, in Pali or Sanskrit. Mm -hmm. So so heart mind, you see that. Um, I think that's a that's a good. Sometimes you even see chitta described as just heart, right? Um, and so the chitta has a certain amount of consciousness to it it has a certain amount of will to it um the chitta is not like a, a blank uh, it's not like consciousness mm -hmm. consciousness is, is uh, more more of a <clears throat> i think in, in a way consciousness reflects more of the way that we think of mind here in in english perhaps Right. Chitta has a, a lot of factors like I, I think will willpower or mm. desire. So mm. it, it includes um, you know the sankaras. It includes uh, everything that <clears throat> has gone into uh, putting together experience up through consciousness and and to the point of agency. Right. And right. chitta would be sometimes seen as the, the volitional force that 
maybe moves from life to life if you look at the um, metaphysical mm-hmm. aspects of it. Right. Um, Because okay, so I, I've I've compared Buddhism with Taoism and the four foundations of mindfulness or four establishments of mindfulness. I've compared that with uh, this Taoist yogic structure, um, and also you, you find it in Chan Buddhism, Zen Buddhism, that the structure of uh, posture, breath, energy, heart, mind, and then deeper context. And so then, so when I look at the four establishments, I see chitta as being similar to what a Taoist would say when they're talking about heart, mind. Um, that's the, the word is shin. Um, and so then in Chan Buddhism, you know, the, the diff- famous, famous practices or famous teachings, right? They'll say Buddha is mind, meaning Buddha is heart, mind, meaning uh, Buddha is shin. Um, and then, you know, the, the practice that goes with it is like a koan practice where, you know, you're asking, who am I, or what was my face before I'm born? Um, and say in Advaita Vedanta, which is like, uh, um, a Hindu tradition that like, okay, uh, my focus on Ramana Maharishi, a teacher from the Advaita Vedanta. And his, the famous practice that he would teach is uh, the who am I practice. Um, and he would say, yeah, you focus in the heart. You can't locate, you can't locate it ultimately as a physical location, but in general, it's related to the heart. Um, so I guess that's when I, when I try to understand what is, what does it mean to be aware of the chitta? What does it mean to liberate the chitta? I, I associate that with this Chan understanding or this Advaita Vedanta understanding. Um, so I'm wondering, have you have you ever thought about that or compare tried to compare this early Buddhist understanding with other Buddhist traditions or other Asian yogic traditions? Mm. Um, and yeah, do you find do you find that? there's some resonance that they have things in common or do you feel like it? No, it's, it's, it's very different or maybe some kind of, maybe something in between somewhere in the middle. <laughs> um, that, that's a good question. And I think it's, it's a fairly nuanced question and, and it changes um, the idea of chitta or, or uh, mm-hmm. changing through time, not only in, in Buddhism from so the, the tradition of the suttas and it's different when you get to the Abhidhamma. In the Abhidhamma, it's a much more focused idea of chitta. So in the early, in the suttas, it's more like a comprehensive entity. It's the aggregates. It's your uh, entire psychological happening. Kind of it's the container of a self in a way. They go to the Abhidhamma and it's a more focused idea of, I think, agency. Right. And, and then I, I, I think in, in a certain time, it gets very, uh, it starts to look like Atta, uh, right? Like, uh, mm-hmm. like self. self. You know? Yeah. And, 
And so if you look at the, the way that that's treated in the Hindu traditions or, or later Buddhism, it, it, is, it is different. Um, the bodhicitta, you know, is uh, kind of a different idea. Mm-hmm. The idea that um, well, I was, I was sort of thinking about yeah the the, the ideas of um, say say pure land yeah of Buddhism comes comes to mind where it has a very um, Again, the, the ideas there change quite a bit. It's hard, it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things that's hard to pigeonhole because it, it, it changes for each, each tradition. But I do think there are uh, uh, ways to, to look at it um, I guess the way I see it is probably a, a, a spectrum of, of something that starts out a little more simplistic mm-hmm. and sort of picks up additional uh, meanings and significance. Right, right. Um, in, in later Buddhism, it seems to have a much more um, uh, I would say fundamental kind of nature to it. And, <clears throat> mm-hmm. and some of the, the Thai uh, teachers have been accused of teaching chitta as a fundamental nature so right. uh, that's an interesting uh, avenue to explore at yeah. some point there's, there's a lot of writings on that right yeah. um like i know ajahn sumedho uh from the thai forest tradition he'll talk about the uh mantra practice budo you you say boo as you breathe in and do as you breathe out and then he says you you want you focus on uh, the one who knows. That's what he he gets at is like the one who knows is like Buddha within you, and so it's yeah this this kind of witnessing witnessing perspective or um, like in yoga they call the purusha the the you know the witnessing self, but there's in Buddhism there's no self but. Uh, when they're when they're talking phenomenologically about practice, um, yeah, that 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 that's a teaching in the Thai Force tradition of like uh, the one who knows. Mm. And so you're saying that that is that what you're talking about in terms of some Thai teachers talking about there being a nature or yeah yeah yeah, yeah certainly and that mm-hmm. that comes up in, in quite a bit of the Force tradition. I think that's. Um, just some of the way that they uh, uh, talked about things, you know, um, <clears throat> and it's a way. I mean, it, it is a it's a way to to ground your awareness and a certain perspective. And I think the key is to understand that uh, the chitta is ultimately seen as another construct, right? And and learning to to see that that is also uh, willed put together mm-hmm. and 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 then no self in a way right um 
yeah so so you can get stuck on the idea that it's that it's uh you found the 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 self and i think <clears throat> you can look at some interpretations of, of the hindu or Upanishadic traditions and say okay this is this is the the self right here i've, I've got it i'm there and you'd ask the Buddhists and say, well, you're still putting it together, so it's not there yet. But then you ask other Hindus and they'll say, no, that's you're still putting it together. That's not it. Right. You know, that's not, you know, that's not the not the not the self you're looking for. <laughs> right. <laughs> like a start the Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> um okay, so let, let me let's get back into the uh the third the third tetrad so the 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 wonky way of talking about the 16 exercises is four groups of four and so they're called tetrads so the third tetrad aware of the chitta gladdening the chitta concentrating the chitta and then liberating the chitta uh what is how is gladdening chitta different from um the joy or the bliss you experience in the jhanas that are discussed in the second tetrad how is gladdening different from well what's the poly word do you know i don't, I, I can't remember but um oh goodness i offhand i'll add we'll it we'll edit this question out so you want sure, yeah i can't remember <laughs> the poly offhand i can look right, it up pity is joy uh sukha is bliss and that's talking about the jhanas the first four jhanas Mm -hmm. And then when we talk about gladdening the mind, um, how is that? How does that relate to the jhanas, or how is it the same or different from the the joy and the bliss? Right. Um, it it's 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 a way to um, continue to foster the joy and the bliss. Mm -hmm. it's a way to, it's it's um making sure that those are indeed what you're doing you're if 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 that's the, the place you're in yeah. you know at a certain point you know you, you drop the more gross kinds of joys or raptures and things mm -hmm. so the, the gladdening is is part of uh, smoothing that experience out mm. of, of pleasure and bliss and, and, and kind of getting it into where it needs to be for uh, progression. Right. To move on. Right. Um, Cause okay. The, the, the pity and the sukha, uh, we were talking about it, how that's like a bodily experience, this, you know, body sensation, you're experiencing the pity as it's 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 ecstatic it's ecstatic joy or blissful happiness based on body sensation that you're experiencing. Uh, whereas gladdening the chitta, it doesn't necessarily mean body sensation. I guess I don't know. That's why I'm wondering: can we make a distinction between you're aware of sensation versus you're aware of awareness? Uh, and so the gladdening of chitta i don't know at least in my mind it, it seems like it's it's talking about something that's not as directly connected to sensation as as uh the pity and the sukha i see i see 
Um, it, 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 it's both. Yeah. Right. So, so the way I see it, um, or the way I've come to understand it and, um, is that it's not as if the, the, the gladdening the mind in the, in the third tetrad is something that you've done once you finish the first two tetrads. Right. So you, you are experiencing this, this, or the, this discussion that's happening in the third tetrad while you're doing the things in the first tetrad, right? Okay. So you're, you're examining the mental uh, experience and this gladdening the mind is part of the evaluation of bringing about the bliss. Okay. It's part of um, gauging where the mind is and, and, and how you're fostering the, the breath in the body. Mm-hmm. That, that helps to bring about those uh, bodily sensations, the feelings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, then, and then at some point you've kind of moved beyond some of those. And so you're, you're doing a, a, a gladdening the mind at a much more subtle level. Yeah. You're no longer worried about fostering pity. Right. 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 Um. Like in, in different commentaries, I hear that it, like people will say, well, like yeah, Tignanham, he would say, um, gladdening the mind, well, you know, like him and other teachers will say, oh, uh, think about the three jewels or think about areas in your life where you've had good conduct or, you, you know, you've kept your precepts really well. And so it's some kind of like, like that's how they're interpreting what gladdening the mind means. Um, What's your opinion about about thinking about it like that? I think that's a really good strategy, yeah. um, <laughs> especially if you're, if you're teaching people, um, you know, the, the basics of, of meditation. If you're looking at somebody who's a very experienced meditator, that's not the way that you'd probably approach that topic. Mm-hmm. But um, if you're trying to get somebody to experience these uh, or, or learning how to, so they're new or 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 working on it, mm-hmm. really concrete ideas about <clears throat> contemplating uh, the Buddha or, or, or the Sangha, Dhamma, the Triple Gem. Mm-hmm. I think they're very effective. If the, you know, if, if you're a Buddhist, certainly. If not, yeah. you can find uh, right. some other things that you can uh, do to to inspire gladness, and that can be um, even meta or, or or something like that right um okay so then uh concentrating the mind liberating the mind um again so i can't help myself to go back to a Taoist uh <laughs> of in the Taoism they, they talk about the jing qi and shen and that the ideas you want to restore or replenish these three different zones of experience and like sublimate them so the jing meaning like your food your exercise nutrition um and they they get into the sexuality and like you're supposed to preserve your sexual energy and there's there's a celibate track and a non-celibate track um then 
with the breath energy, they'll talk about you lose it when you get caught up in reactive emotions, like anxiety or anger or lust or whatever, like that, the, you burn up a lot of energy through those reactive emotions. And then they say for the Shen, you, the Shen gets depleted by, by just being caught up in thoughts, by getting caught up in conceptual cognitive activity or whatever. Um, so then, yeah, in, in, in a Taoist practice, uh, the way to preserve the Shen is, yeah, that you're, you're, you're disrupting the habit of uh, the heart mind getting, identifying with something attaching to something um just the process of thinking itself like you're 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 so yeah just the the like um if breath energy is working with emotion as sensation and then uh working on the heart mind it's like that the level of like the mind moving or the mind identifying with something and you're disrupting that uh from happening and so then like a koan practice is like you know if you ask who am i you're trying to get to the root of where the mind is moving or identifying with something uh and you're trying to, to disrupt it um so i'm wondering yeah like um i don't know that's so that, that that's how i explain to myself maybe what this is talking about when it's when they're talking about um, concentrating and liberating. Um, so, uh, what's your sense of that? Um, I think I can see see uh, some parallels, especially when you're talking about the the energy and maybe burning, losing, losing energy. Right. You know? um, and I think certainly when we're looking at the idea of steadying the mind. Mm -hmm. concentrating the mind um this is this comes into play certainly right um and so like if you're looking at it in terms of <clears throat> tijana practice mm -hmm. um you can think of steadying the mind in a way of evaluating your your level of of uh energy in the body is it too disruptive are you having too much uh ecstatic energy or, or something that's agitating um <clears throat> and does it need more you know you need to sort of tamp that down or, or is it really dragging and you need to kind of bring it up to balance and uplift it a little bit so i think I think I see a, 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 a parallel or similarity in, in, in the way of uh, kind of losing energy or, or, or losing your. Mm -hmm. um, the, the papancha, right? The, yeah. Uh, okay, papancha means mental proliferation. Okay, well, so let if. Um, if the first two tetrads are more dealing with body and sensation and the third tetrad is dealing with mind, uh, that, it seems like, yeah, like, um, papancha is like what it's getting at. You could, what, like, I don't know. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's something, if you want to enter into the, the jhanas and this is kind of, if we're looking at the 
these tetrads, these are mm-hmm. geared towards uh, pro- progressing to the chanas. Yeah. Then definitely papancha is a big enemy. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so you have to figure out how to um, knit those thoughts. Uh, you know, and this includes like, you know, secluding yourself from the sensuality, you know, these yeah. years of the, uh, beginning instructions. You have to get the mind, uh, you need the hindrances, you know, you have to balance out the first, but it comes in, in, in the fourth tetrad as well. But um, you have to steady these impulses of the mind. Right. And the energies, yeah. Yeah, this idea of impulse or movement of the mind, uh, and it's like phenomenologically different from sensation. Um, but well, yeah, what's interesting with that that the Buddha starts with the body, uh, and then he's you know dealing with the emotions, and then he gets to dealing with the mind directly. He doesn't start there. Uh, it's like you gotta stabilize and you know, cultivate and stabilize the body first, then the emotions, and then you're working directly with the mind. Um, so I guess that's the, uh, like Goenka will, Goenka will talk about, yeah, you're aware of sensation and you're aware of mind. And then because any movement of the mind uh, is reflected in sensation, he says, okay, yeah, you're still, you're still having sensation be the focus. Um, and then they say like, you know, if, when you get to a place where you've, you've let go of, like you, the, you've reached a level of equanimity, uh, the body sensation is just experienced as like an energy field. And you've reached a level of like, just equanimity with everything. This is what I've heard. I haven't, I haven't, this is like the advanced, I never got to the advanced courses. So uh, they talk about, that you're you're not doing you're not doing the body scan anymore where you're like sweeping your awareness through the body anymore and uh, that you're just more kind of resting in awareness but they say that you're you're focusing on the heart and you're kind of turning your awareness into the heart and they say that that's the that's when you can trigger an experience of nirvana yeah i mean you can't control it you can't make it happen through an act of will so it's more like it's like a surfer you're hanging out ready to kind of waiting to catch a wave uh, right um, <laughs> uh, but it but it's like they they take sensation awareness of sensation as far as you can go and then then they get to this place where okay yeah you're just kind of resting and look aware of the heart mind um so just that awareness of thought or yeah awareness of the mind moving it's somehow categorically different than awareness of sensation. Um, so Vedana meaning sensation, Chitta meaning heart mind, that, that, that I see it as like two fundamental phenomenological experiences that we have, that one of them can't be reduced into the other. Um, I mean, ultimately maybe, yeah, but, but like in terms of just actual practice and like relating to your direct experience, it seems like it's like two different categories that are being talked about. Um, so again, that, 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 
that the third tetrad. I mean, that's okay. Like to get into the jhanas, you already have to have chilled out the conceptual mind. And um, but it seems like, um, yeah, it's trying to uh, it's trying to isolate papancha and uh, disrupt papancha. Sure. I mean, the concentrating yeah. the mind, liberating the mind. It's like, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, and I, I, I think, yeah, the, the, um, the level of, of thought that gets mm -hmm. into um, the practice at this point when you're um, in the jhana is going to be very uh, focused and directed, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, but yeah, all the, the wandering <clears throat> and papancha, if you look at it in terms of you know, unskillful thoughts of uh, sensuality and or uh, identity and these kinds of things should be at that point sort of put aside or greatly reduced. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. Yeah. And so, yeah, part of that, you know, when you're, when you're working through the, the tetrads and you're doing the breath, the breath work, um, and that's part of the steadying and releasing aspect because at a certain level you're still dealing with these grosser mental phenomena and you've you've brought it to a place a point of steadiness where you can examine it and then let it go that's the releasing mm -hmm. you, you release these things that are uh weighing you down uh causing the, the unevenness mm -hmm. um, yeah. Um, like like in John teachings, that that it's they're very explicit. They say, "Yeah, cut off, cut off all conceptual thought, and then you'll realize the way." Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> cut off the the thought maker. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, but the the third tetrad. Okay, it ends with liberating the mind, but that's not the same as experiencing. Nirvana. It's because that's the fourth. The fourth tetrad is where you experience nirvana. Uh, um, so what's, the, what's the difference between liberating the mind and? Yeah. 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 Yes and yes and no. So that wouldn't ah, be okay. that wouldn't be um, experiencing nirvana, but in the releasing the mind could be one of the points at which mm -hmm. one would then move beyond. Right could potentially go at that and you know yeah releasing whatever it is at that point yeah could lead to unbinding right right so unbinding is another way of saying involved yeah. in, the, in the fourth tetrad it actually could this happen this kind of unbinding happen in this sequence wait say that again because i was talking over what you what... Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to coincide with the fourth tetrad this could yeah um the unbinding could happen in this this third sequence here of release. Okay, so that um, the idea that uh, it, the sixteen exercise you can see it as a progression, but you can also just kind of see it as a map of different zones of experience and what should you do in each of these zones. Mm. And so then the idea that 
you could nirvana could be triggered by uh, exercises in the first and second tetrad as well. Mm. Or, in other words, like you're aware of sensation and you're. I, okay. Is that okay? Is, is that what you were getting at, or is, no? No. Um, I, I suppose perhaps it could. You know, right. one could one could uh, see um, un, unbinding taking place, um, say in first jhana. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the the way that the tetrads work, or the, that I, that I'm thinking of them, is that um, even while you're ex- uh, practicing, say you're looking at the second tetrad, you're focused in on that. You're still dealing with the third and fourth tetrad. There are yeah. feedback loops on one another, right? So, and and so once you've sort of mastered what you're doing in the second tetrad, and you can kind of apply the third and fourth to where you're what you're doing, you're feeling your your experience of uh, the first shana. Mm-hmm. So so t- potentially you could be yeah in in that first shana and focused in on those characteristics and and lead. Um, Binding. I, I, I suppose so, but right. it makes sense. Whereas, um, like in Chan Buddhism, or like I was saying with Advaita Vedanta, Ramana Maharishi, that um, you know, they're, they're saying that the nirvana is experienced through uh, disrupting Tapancha. Who am I? Uh, that somehow that that gets to the root of the eye making and the mind making and um so they privilege that um and so then there's there's the idea then like okay ultimately yeah that's what can trigger nirvana but uh you have to do you have to do preparatory stuff to build yourself up to that point to where that's actually going to work so in goink of you're working through the sensations from gross to subtle and then you reach this totally subtle place and then there's focusing on the heart mind um, and Taoism. They're saying, yeah, to realize the Tao, you first have to replenish the Jing energy, sublimate it into the Qi, replenish the Qi, sublimate it into the Shen, replenish the Shen. And then yes, ultimately the Shen is sublimated into the Tao. Um, so in some, in like Japanese Zen, a common thing is that, yeah, first you count the breath uh, and you build up your Qi, your breath energy, and then you do the koan practice. If you just try to jump straight into the koan, you're not going to get much out of it. Like it's just going to be, um, there won't be much oomph in it, right? Uh, so one one way then to think of the 16 exercises is, is a similar idea that you're you're building up the body, you're building up the breath energy, and so then when you when you get to the third tetrad of concentrating the mind, liberating the mind, there's a lot of oomph behind it. Whereas if you just tried to start there from the beginning uh you won't get much out of it sure yeah yeah absolutely absolutely i've, I've heard the uh the jhanas or samadhi compared to like uh a fuel cell a, a tank <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah you gotta fill it you know you gotta have a full 
full tank to bust through. And like Tony Sarabiko, he'll say like, oh yeah, if you, you know, if you're, if you reach the level of equanimity and you're just there, but there's, it's like, he talks about it almost like, like you, you, if you need more juice, drop back down to the previous uh, exercise and like, like, yeah, if you're, if you're, if, I don't know, if your equanimity doesn't have enough juice, drop down, drop back into the sukha. And if that doesn't have enough juice, drop down to the pity. Mm. Uh, but once you build up enough juice, then then progress forward to like the next level of refinement or, um, yeah. Yeah, I, it could be, you know, you can become complacent and equanimity, I think, is a, uh, a dangerous mm -hmm. place to find complacency uh, if you're not careful. And yeah. So, <clears throat> yeah, I think unfortunately uh equanimity is oftentimes conflated with you know the goal of, of things and uh, yeah. it can be very seductive right yeah and that that's drives me crazy is a lot of buddhism in secular mindfulness or ways that uh zen has been interpreted is oh yeah you're just in the you're in the present moment and you're letting go of reactions and that's it that there's nothing else <laughs> uh yeah so it tends to favor a lay practice that doesn't want to really take seriously the four fruits of attainment um or it can favor an intellectual approach where you just kind of you, you've you've thought about it enough to where yeah this seems i've uh, I've thought myself into this is it. There isn't anything else. Yeah. yeah. If only it was so simple. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like, yeah, what you're saying earlier about the chitta is related to your karma. It's related to volition. It's, it's ultimately related to your experience of rebirth. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, well, the... Um, the range of experience and the, and the stages of experience, it's like you, you have to have a living tradition th that understands what the full range is. Uh, otherwise you can, you can think you're there and you're not there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's really a, a danger. And without that um, support network, without that living tradition or broader knowledge, you know. Yeah. A lot of people think they've attained all kinds of things. Just look on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so then, yeah, because like like with the Zen teaching, like, okay, there's these koan practice, like, who am I? Just cut off conceptual thought and then that's it. Or, um, But that's coming from a tradition of monasticism that has... Uh, it has the monastic rules underneath it, and then it has all this other stuff that's going on. Um, okay, well, anyway, let's let's go ahead and and the so the final tetrad, the the final four, so to speak. Uh, aware of impermanence, aware of dispassion, aware of experiencing nirvana, 
uh, and then relinquishment or letting go. Um, so the classical early Buddhist understanding is if you're experiencing nirvana, you're, they have what's called the four fruits of attainment is stream entry, once returner, non-returner, arahat. And at each, at each of those moments of attainment, there's an experience of nirvana and a weakening or a um, uprooting of 10 habit energies known as the 10 fetters, which are seen to cause rebirth. And so when you experience nirvana, it's like those deep habit. So um, it's a belief in a separate self, like the view of the separate self, uh, belief in rites and rituals, um, doubt about whether nirvana is real. Those are the first three. And uh, supposedly when you attain the stream entry, those first three get um, removed. Um, and then the uh, once returner, the sensual craving and sensual aversion gets weakened. It doesn't get destroyed, but it gets weakened enough that you're only going to come back one more time. They say stream into your, you'll have seven more, seven more to go, seven more lifetimes to go. Uh, and then non-returner, you've completely eradicated the sensual craving and aversion. So you, uh, you're supposedly going to be reborn in a, a heavenly realm of some kind and in that realm and like a subtle energy body realm that's where you'll you'll finally uproot the, the remaining five fetters uh the remaining five is craving to be born in the form realm craving to be born in the formless realm um uh eye making or some sometimes called conceit um ignorance and then i think the, the other one's restlessness if i'm not mistaken um, so that's the final five get eradicated when you, when you fully attain nirvana, that's, so that's becoming an arahat. Um, so the point being that the final four is talking about, uh, an experience of nirvana and an experience of some of these fetters getting weakened or destroyed. Um, but anyway, okay, so the first one is awareness of impermanence. What, okay, so why, like later Buddhism, they say impermanence, suffering, and no self uh, are different in ways of cultivating insight to experience nirvana. But in the 16, they just say uh, impermanence. Um, so why impermanence and not uh, suffering or no self? Sure. Um, I've, I've thought about this and mm -hmm. I. I think in some ways um, they're interchangeable mm -hmm. and largely I think they're interchangeable for um, any of the sort of themes that you find in the fourth Satipatthana. Yeah. <clears throat> so you could, you could sort of look at it in that way that it's, it's, uh, it's just the placeholder that's there. Right. Um, but um, in some ways, it's almost a more fundamental mm. issue. Yeah. Um, so this is the way I, I kind of understand it um, because both uh, suffering and, and not self sort of rely upon inconstancy or anicca to be undermined right. or, to, you know, suffering, you know, part of suffering is inconstancy mm. part of, 
part of no self is also inconstancy. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of look at it in some ways that that might be a more fundamental issue that you can pinpoint on or, or you know, right. bore down to. Right. And the others are elaborations thereof. Right. Um, and so I, because I'm into Gwinka and my Gwinka bias, we can say, uh, um, that impermanence is something that you can you can directly experience through sensation and sensation as part of the links of dependent origination whereas uh no self or suffering in a way it's more of a conceptual it takes conceptualizing it's like a construct that you have to conceptualize versus the direct experience of sensation and um which i mean yeah it's not uh well, okay. So, but anyway, the impermanence gives rise to dispassion. So that again, I try to, I see, I see that as the links of dependent origination that you're aware of impermanence as a sensation. And then instead of it giving rise to craving or aversion, it gives rise to dispassion. Um, mm-hmm. So I see it as that, that's like, it's describing the links in a way. Um, and that this that the dis, the dispassion is what results in the unbinding or the unwinding or whatever. Um, but anyway, does, can you say more about that the the experience of impermanence and then that giving rise to the experience of dispassion? What is dispassion? How is it related to the impermanence? Right. Um, <clears throat> So I think, you know, how is is dispassion different from aversion? uh, uh, Yeah, they're they're totally different. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, good. All right. So, so so, um, aversion is, I guess you can, you know, they can look similar. And um, Mm -hmm. uh, aversion is, you know, a very active um, activity. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's uh, usually rooted in some sort of um, emotional or perhaps intellectual conceptual response. Yeah. Uh, so it's charged. It's probably got a lot of baggage to it. Mm-hmm. Um, this passion, <clears throat> on the other hand, is more of a cooling, a fading away an undoing of uh, involvement with something. Yeah. Caring about something. Mm-hmm. Uh, caring in a way that is, uh, I suppose, detrimental. Right. So, so you're no longer actually, so, so if you're averse to something, you have to like create this mental state or emotional being that, ah, mm-hmm. you, know, mm-hmm. you know, if you're, um, if you've developed this passion towards something, it's more like you're just no longer putting together that whole complex set of emotions and conceptions about this, this idea. Right. Right. You're still, cause you're still, and this is part of where dependent origination is still part of this, uh, mm-hmm. the four tetrads, you know, dependent origination. you're mm-hmm. looking at the way that you are fabricating your mental experience the way that you're building it all the time. Mm-hmm. So this is 
part of looking at that part in, in, in the in the links. Yeah. Um yeah, so uh, and Tiny Tiny will talk about you know the whole idea that you you want to develop the jhanas because you want to wean yourself off of more gross level uh, sensory pleasure by experiencing more refined sensory pleasure. But then he's saying, yeah, one even once you've like perfected that and then you've reached just like a level of equanimity, um, the process of having to to cultivate something, the process mm -hmm. itself becomes uh like uh yeah something that is like uh uh like that <laughs> yeah <laughs> this is uh like fine i can get to this totally blissful place or this total equanimity uh and and before i before i cultivated that you know i was motivated to experience it but once what's like once you've perfected it then mm -hmm. then you then you start becoming aware oh even having to having to work to create it is itself like, uh, like, I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. 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 Ultimately this is developing that dispassion towards, uh, the state that you've constructed the jhanas that you mm -hmm. entered into. You've built a, a place on which you can actually look at the, the uh, the subtlety that that, that requires you know, it's mm -hmm. way down the <laughs> way down the the path for somebody yeah to do that so I mean that's 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 a pretty much there at the goalpost and it's like you can't this is the thing that you you got to go through the jhanas to get to the point where that feeling of uh is going to come up you can't you can't make that happen right of will yeah absolutely because <clears throat> yeah the jhanas are 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 the place in which your activities your mind the sankharas are everything is taken down to such a level you can actually watch it happen you can actually see um the ignorance at work mm -hmm. and, and do the micro adjustments and the deconditioning needed uh, yeah. can't do it any other yeah so it's like that yeah you have to get to a level of your awareness has to get to a level of subtlety to where you can become aware of the mechanics of the process of becoming happening mm -hmm. so that the dispassion for that can arise yeah yeah i mean you have to, yeah that's you know the the level of, of shankara that you're trying to undo at that point is so uh subtle right yeah. and so the jhanas it's uh apparently the, the way to go yeah um and again like we were saying before you can't <laughs> like there's this thing of people saying like they're trying to they're trying to like cultivate dispassion or i don't know it, it, you can get fixated on dispassion then that can become like just a mental trip of uh you're just convincing yourself that everything is suffering and then therefore you want to let go of it but it's more of a top-down rational argument or it's more cognitive behavioral kind of thing mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um 
but whole schools of thought can get <laughs> built on that. <laughs> whole whole traditions can get built around that. Like that's how you know people say, "Oh, Buddhism is pessimistic," or um, right? Yeah, yeah. When you look at the the exercises or the the things that um, people do to the meditators do to induce this passion, it certainly from an outsider's point of view looks, you know, to the point of morbidity sometimes. Right, like so, contemplating uh, corpses, contemplating yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, the burning of the funeral, yeah, uh, the funeral fire, yeah, cremation. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, not, so for some reason, I think of it like as like the, the 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 fourth tetrad talking about your way of impermanence, your way of dispassion. Um, so I see it as like the idea of like you you're you're quitting a job, and uh, if you quit the job, if you have a bunch of baggage with the people that you worked with, then um when you're quitting like a bunch of stuff comes out and it just gets kind of messy or whatever uh chances are that's going to show up in your next job like it's <laughs> like that moment of quitting a job all, all the stuff will come up and you have to be very careful not to act on it right and then you have to you have to have a place of equanimity mm-hmm. about it all so that you can leave it like in a clean way somehow um so i feel like that that this idea like you got to work through the jhanas you have to work through all your craving and aversion on all these different levels of pleasure and pain uh you have to honestly yeah work through all that before you're finally ready like okay now i'm ready to leave yeah i I like that (laughs) analogy i like what you said that and this this is the the fourth pet trap right here you know this Mm -hmm. is um uh, cessation you kind of that's ceasing that and then and then relinquishing yeah um letting go of, of, of that and then you know saying okay that's that's not part of my process anymore that's not part of what i'm carrying on mm-hmm. and going on to the next the next job yeah or the next stage yeah and so this is also this is how how it feeds back into Anapanasati. So just because you've got this passion here in the, the fourth tetra, that's not the final dispassion. You know, this is mm-hmm. also dispassion and cessation of the the sankaras that are getting in the way of uh, developing rapture and bliss. Yeah, and relinquishing uh, mm-hmm. those habits, relinquishing yeah. that self involvement. Yeah. So this idea that 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 nibbana is even more fulfilling, even more blissful than the the bliss of jhana, uh, more peaceful, um, and that that is because it because it's uh, in other words the jhanas cannot eradicate the fetters only nirvana can eradicate the fetters. Uh, So it's like like okay. That, so that the question is, um, 
Okay, well, in the 16 exercise, it says you're contemplating nirodha, which is contemplating cessation. But and and people say that's synonymous with nibbana. Um, but if we if we go back to this idea that when you experience nibbana, there's the uprooting of the fetters. So when we say cessation, what are we talking about? We it seems to me we're talking about cessation of fetters. And that uh, somehow that's the, that relinquishment is somehow related to that the experience of the fetters getting eradicated. You're relinquishing the fetters, I guess we could say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and it's it's that final abandoning of the process. Yeah, the, the, the thing stopped. It's like <laughs> yeah. right. So you you've you've undone the sankara that you, you're habitually yeah. doing, you know? Yeah. And so that's the sensation. You're like, oh, and then uh -huh. I'm not doing that again. That's right. really That's, you know, okay. That's, that's, I can finally- I'm really off. leaving this job behind and I'm not going to create another situation yeah. where the same issue is going to come up again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, that's, uh, let go, let go of, the attachments to to everything to that the, the processes the, the the highs and the lows you know so that's part yeah. of the relinquishment you, you know um i think relinquishment is like the the raft you know the the simile from the sutta mm -hmm. the, the raft to go from one shore to the other you know don't carry the raft once you get to the other shore yeah the experience of relinquishment does not yeah, it doesn't result in further fabrications. It's, um, yeah, like you're saying, it's a bridge or a raft that's right. taking you into the full experience of, of the unconditioned. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's no one to experience it. So you can't, you can't even necessarily say it's an experience, but like, uh, um, but yeah, just to, okay, so this is the thing though, like just to even conceive that rebirth is possible, that's that's a big thing. And then to be able to conceive that the cessation of rebirth can happen, like to even wrap your head around it conceptually, you know, we're so used to identifying with our body, this is who I am. Uh, and then it feels like when I die, that's it, game over. Or... <laughs> um, mm -hmm. So again, this idea that the the sixteen exercises is it's like a progression from gross to subtle, and um, yeah, weaning yourself off of identifying with and attaching to the body and mind itself. Um, it's such a mind blowing concept, right? Uh, so yeah. yeah, yeah, like it's it's hard to even met like what like. But there it is. It's the fourth tetra. <laughs> <laughs> I guess how radical the idea of, I mean, just rebirth alone is already a pretty radical idea. And then liberation from rebirth is even more of a radical. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, I don't, it's, it's I, I suppose, probably not the most logical idea of rebirth, but but maybe, you know, mm -hmm. you watch, watch nature long enough and see things 
be restored, come and go. Yeah. Um, maybe there's a certain logic to it. I don't know that in our Western mind that would be the logical place to 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 go. Um, yeah. But then again, um, if you take the the Western uh, scientific materialistic view mm-hmm. uh, and take it to its end, is that logical? You know, then, then what's right. the point of consciousness? It, it fits more with your average daily experience. Yeah. So it's because that's the thing because it fits with that feeling. It's given the weight of truth, and then it's a, so. But it's yeah, it's almost like retroactively putting in this rationality about it, um, as opposed to it's just confusing what seems to be real as what's real. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And. It, that you have to have a contemplative tradition and people reaching these levels of awakening to have some direct uh, experience to contrast what seems to be true, what seems to be common sense. Yeah, otherwise it's um, fake, right? Yeah. So you have to, if you if you don't want to believe in the Western scientific view or whatever view that might have been. Mm-hmm. through the ages uh, of some sort of mundane existence. Yeah. Um, without direct experience, you know, it's a, it's a, a fantasy as best you can put it together and, yeah. and look for. And so, yeah, the, the, the contemplative traditions and the, the mystics and, and such are having those direct experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, keeping it alive and then and that some people having the experience can trigger other people to have the experience as well <laughs> yeah right right and that, you know and, and then what those are ultimately you know that's for those who've experienced it too uh, no yeah um but yeah okay so we should wrap up uh but like just how in the United States, the understanding of Buddhism, the understanding of uh, Vipassana meditation has tended to favor the Mahasi uh, Sayada tradition, which is focused on the Satipatthana Sutta, the establishment of mindfulness Sutta, uh, and tends not to be focused on the Anapanasati Sutta, which has the 16 exercises in it. and but but they'll have there's different teachers that are more coming from the Mahasi side of it that will talk about the 16 exercises, but they'll talk about it in a from a different perspective, I guess you can say. Um, and then what we're saying is that in the US, it, it, the mindfulness can get watered down to where nirvana doesn't mean nirvana anymore. Um, so they'll, 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 they'll either ignore the 16 exercises or they will try to make it fit within a different system. Um, the four fruits of attainment are not talked about anymore. Rebirth and liberation from rebirth are not talked about. 
yeah, or or happiness and joy are not are not connected with the jhanas. Um, and this is the the framework that's uh, necessary for the, the sixteen steps. You know, you, you, the the idea of nibbana and release and the path. Otherwise, it isn't mm-hmm. practice. And you can see the sixteen steps taught as a mundane practice. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so like the, the, the three jewels includes, originally the Sangha meant people who had reached a level of attainment, one of the four fruits. Um, and then later on it became the monastics and then later on it became just the community of practice overall. Um, but yeah, it's interesting how that very early on this idea that the, the thing has to be kept alive and that is people people realizing the four fruits is how you keep the thing alive yeah <laughs> and it, yeah if you don't have that built into the system then yeah it can become watered down or it can become it, yeah it loses that that deeper meaning no absolutely i think that's uh probably happened time and time again if you look at the, the history of Buddhism as communities mm-hmm. dwindle and then resurge you lose a, a living tradition and you're learning from books and, and things and they probably find a lot of deviations people who aren't experienced mm-hmm. in those in those teachings trying yeah. to reinvent them yeah but yeah, that's a, that's what's interesting too, though, is that people can pick it back up and reactivate it. You know, that's that's also very interesting. Yeah, timeless, timeless. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. So uh, I think we will end it for today. Um, but that is our what we can say the second of a two part uh, series on the sixteen exercises. Okay, thanks, John. That was fun. Yeah, thank you too, Chris.